Tulsa, happy Tuesday. It is another edition of the show here on the Blitz 1170 and streaming on the Blitz 1170 app. I am Colby Daniels. No Jeremy Poplin, the 2023 Oklahoma Sportscaster of the Year today. But Scott File is on the other side of the glass in the Tulsa Oilers Hockey Studio. And we say hello to John Holcomb via the Blitz Hotline. John, how are you on this Tuesday, my friend? I'm fine. I, you know, I, I know that Pop is busy, but, you know, he, he should get another four or five comp days for being the 2023 Oklahoma Sportscaster of the Year. I mean, I, I would vote for that in a heartbeat for him. I mean, I, I think it's it's got to be one of those things where if you win a prestigious award like that, you should get some sort of of lamp to hang, you know, to, to put on the table next to your your uh, your your window that is most prominent to the street side view. You know, maybe it's like a, a leg in a in a high heel <laughs> type thing and from, you, from and Italy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you deserve a number of days off to just bask in the glow of being who you are. Something tells me that the lamp is going to be a much more negotiable item. <laughs> You're probably right. You're probably right. Or you know what? Maybe he won the award because he doesn't get days off. That's that that, that might be just as likely. That dedication, and then when uh, <laughs> Berkeley's daughter's in there like she was yesterday, then it becomes dedication. Something you know about as well. Oh, well done, well done, my friend. Yes. Something I am I am very, very familiar with, which I believe I saw, you know, every day is something nowadays. I think I saw somewhere on social media today that it's like daddy-daughter day. But, you know, you know how that goes. Like, every day is something. And most of the time, people are picking up on, like, the social media run of a day is like a day or two after it's actually happened more often than not. It is. It is. So then, and then you, you kind of feel this mixture of, well, I guess I better get involved in this and find a picture on my phone that's got my daughter, but the most recent one, you know, and, and maybe we post this, maybe we don't, depending on how safe you think all that is. But if you feel like, oh, gosh, I missed it. I hope she didn't realize it. Oh, yeah, she's on social media, too. Oh, man, I'm toast. I'm going to have, now it's going to cost me because now i got to make it up to her. That, that's kind of the, the, the train of thought that you can get into if you don't watch it. I'm glad that you had that train of thought because I had the thought she's not even one. She'll never know. And I just went through Valentine's Day and my wife's birthday was yesterday. And we have an anniversary coming up in another week. And then her first birthday is in two weeks. So I was like, she'll, you know, she won't even know, nor do I have the energy to, to celebrate Daddy Day. <laughs> Holy cow. You've you got it like where we've got it in October. A youngest daughter have the same birthday. Melody's birthday is four days earlier. And my father-in-law's is the day after Gina. And yeah, that, that's, you've kind of got the same yeah. sort of thing going on. So, so please tell Lauren happy birthday. I, I definitely will. And, uh, yeah, it's it's just kind of like a, about a month-long celebration of, of different things, but the celebration really never slows down, right? It's You're just, you're just changing what exactly you're celebrating, but... Um, yeah, there's there's no days off essentially for about a month, and I'm already I'm halfway through, and I'm already exhausted. Uh, you kind of sound like a Gatorade commercial. No <laughs> days off. That's right. That is right. Well, we've got a a big matchup on the road tomorrow, and and Oklahoma State gets a big win on Saturday, as we talked about yesterday. And and if you look at this week's games, I mean, I think this at Cincinnati game, it's, uh, let me first say, it's not easy to win on the road anywhere. 
in this league. That said, Cincinnati might be among the more gettable teams on the road than than perhaps some of the others. And then Oklahoma in your place on Saturday, I mean, if there was a stretch to potentially put some sort of winning streak together at all in this season, this has got to be it, right? Yes. You've got uh, six left before we head to Kansas City, and you try to stay out of the first round of the, well, the opening day, which is the Trent Johnson Invitational and will forever be known that way. But, yeah, you, you've got out of your six, you could argue you had the, the roughest start to conference play as much or more so than anybody else in the league. But now you and, and it's not that, you know, tomorrow night's not going to be difficult or Saturday with Oklahoma is not going to be difficult. You know, you end with BYU and Provo. You've got to go to Austin. But, you know, Texas, even though they beat Kansas State last night, Texas has not been what I think a lot of us thought they were going to be, but they're still dangerous. BYU will have you circled, and it'll be loud. And, you know, their last thing before, who knows where they're going to be right before tournament time starts. But this is one of those things that if you can stabilize to some degree, we talked about the freshman yesterday, and sometimes there's just no way to predict, there's no way to predict what you're going to get from game to game in some respects. But if you can get any sort of stability, you're in a stretch where, yes, you could make a late season run, and that's something that's not foreign to Mike Point and Coach Teams. You know, they, it started out, was it about three, four years ago? I mean, well, the year that COVID from 19 and 20, you know, and, and you, you started playing better at the end. You started out great, lost Isaac likely to mono after the 7 0 start, and then you really started making a push late season. So, uh, you know, guys feeling more comfortable. And have you unlocked something by putting Jamiron Keller into the starting lineup, even though he's kind of forced into it. I know they would rather bring him off the bench because he's a secondary point guard. You'd like to have him in there when you can give Javon Small a bit of a breather. But have you unlocked something with him being in the starting five and then managing your substitutions that way? This is a stretch where if you can get any sort of uh, consistency, doesn't have to be on the elite side, but consistently good play from your freshman, then you've got a real chance here. As far as Cincinnati goes and what they bring to the table, where are the places that Oklahoma State can capitalize and, and what are the areas of concern? Well, we, we mentioned briefly yesterday that Cincinnati has had some issues uh, with turnovers and they have had some issues running, you know, getting into sets offensively in a half court. So can you take advantage of their mistakes and can you force them into something that you've struggled with off and on for the majority of the season? That is those long scoring droughts. Um, I think Cincinnati's got a little better with that. And when you've got a guy like Dizzle James, who's a dynamic offensive player, then you have to look out for that. And you can't let an early run by Cincinnati just dictate the game for 40 minutes. Um, but, you know, the, the things that you worry about are being able to limit James' good looks and then just not getting beat up on the glass. You know, they may not be the, the tallest team in the league, and, and OSU has struggled against teams. Davis brings this stat out a lot. The collective height of a team, those teams that are in the upper echelon in terms of collective height 
have given OSU more trouble, and it's a variety of reasons, but also I just take into effect the skill level of the taller teams, too. But, uh, you know, Cincinnati will play hard, and if they feel like they can bully you, they'll bully you, not quite on the level of Houston. But those are the things you have to worry about. But the, here's the good thing about it. To match that or exceed it from what your opponent's going to throw at you tomorrow night, you're talking about some things that are within your control. You know, you can't predict that you're going to shoot as well Wednesday night as you did on Saturday against BYU. But you can control the level of your effort, your hustle and intensity on defense and on the glass. And you can control taking care of the basketball to a great degree. The rest of the you just, you know, you want to get as good a shot as you can get, but you, you don't control a lot of the whether it goes in or not. But those, you know, the things you can't control are, are you know, you've gone through an entire season and now it's really starting to sink in with some of the guys. Among the Big 12 newcomers, uh, how has Cincinnati acclimated? Like, obviously for Houston, it's not been an issue. Uh, BYU overall seems to have done a, a pretty good job of, of uh, making this transition. Where, where would you put Cincinnati in terms of what is the perception of, of how they've adjusted to, to life in the Big 12? Well, I think they've finally gotten on board with the uh, Big 12 mandate of having a small, even if it's a small TV monitor for the home and visiting radio <laughs> broadcast crews. Uh, when TCU went up there, that uh, apparently didn't happen. And after a couple of emails, and it was uh, the Big 12 office sending out a reminder to everyone not to single out one of the newcomers, but that's where it happened, uh, which was pretty funny. And uh, so, you know, they're, they're just little things to, to get acclimated to. And, and But I think overall they've been fine because, you know, Cincinnati, as they had been in football, under Luke Fickle and with Desmond Ritter, you know, they had that taste of the college football playoff and, you know, what what it's like. The basketball has had a history of being really good going all the way back to Oscar Robertson, but it's kind of been hit and miss over time. You know, Kenyon Martin and that crew, Nick Van Exel, that crew, you know, they, they, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Bob Huggins. And, uh, you know, the, the Cincinnati team that TU took down in the uh, second round of the NCAA tournament in 2000 when TU made the Elite Eight run and Kenyon Martin had broken his leg near the end of the regular season. Uh, maybe conference tournament, I can't remember, but they didn't have him, but they still had a lot of talent. TU just put it on, on that day. Uh, uh, Kenny Satterfield wouldn't take his headphones off during media availability and didn't <laughs> want to talk to anybody who had access to the locker room. And then, and then one of their other thought Tulsa was in Arizona. You know, it was the classic, we don't care who they are. We will walk all over. What it was really like the next day. But I digress. The, the point is, is that they've got good basketball fans, and it's been a program that has had some really high highs. Um, and so walking in, it's, it's, it's not like a UCF, you know, which is a newer school so forth and, and you know it's, it's funny how in some ways UCF and Cincinnati have similarly built teams although UCF's got more height across the board but I think you know, I think Cincinnati's done a done a pretty good job acclimating. 
After this, it's uh, at TCU and, and at Houston, so a couple of road trips for Cincinnati. I, I would imagine that this is one of those games where there's going to be some pressure for them to get this one done, and, and maybe they play a little tighter than Oklahoma State does. Yeah, you know, we briefly touched on that yesterday, and I think, I think you're onto something there because you're into that back third of your conference schedule, and everything – gets ramped up and if you're on the bubble kind of in kind of out of tournament projections then you can't afford to stumble it's almost like your tournament starts now uh, you know, there's still time but it goes back to the old adage too and and i don't know if they've had a significant either dip or surge in their level of play during this month they've kind of from what I can tell, it's, it's almost like they, it's, it's some, you know, they've had their moments, but are they, have they kind of stayed the same? Which, you go back to something that Fran Priscilla always says about college basketball teams in February, typically you either get better or you get worse. Very few teams do stay the same, unless you're elite and you've been rolling, steamrolling everybody. But, you know, I would think that Cincinnati kind of falls in that, that last category. You, they're, they're kind of the same. I don't want to necessarily just uh, skip the, the end of the regular season and, and act like it has no meaning, but when you when you mention Kansas City and, and the tournament that, that's going to take place, we've had a, a run of really competitive tournaments with this conference being as good as it's been. Uh, I feel like this year has a chance to once again be one of those those tournaments come tourney time that every single night is going to give us something uh, from a sports standpoint beyond pleasurable. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you added more teams, so the tournament will start on a Tuesday night with a doubleheader. And right now, OSU is in that doubleheader. Um, you know, they, they have the tiebreaker with West Virginia, who you now has similar records, three and nine in the league right now. West Virginia is the last, they would have, they'd be the 14 seed, and the OSU would be the 13. It, but, you know, it's still early to figure out exactly who you're going to play and whether you can get out of that Tuesday, which then has created that, oh, for forever, the, the Big East tournament, you know, and how UConn under Kimball Walker had that crazy run. I know with Syracuse. It was Syracuse with Eric Biebendorf and I think Kimball Walker with UConn when they had to win four games in like four days or five days. And it's, it's almost unheard of to be able to do that. But when you have a transcendent player like that, you can do it. That would be what would be in front of OSU right now. But you're three and nine, and you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, but you look at the standings, and there are a handful of teams with six and seven losses. And there are still six games remaining. These standings could look a lot different when you get to the second weekend in March, right before Kansas City, than they do right now. There's no doubt. Uh, sticking with basketball, but transitioning to the NBA, uh, obviously, I, I think the Western Conference and, and the, the quote-unquote unofficial second half of the season, just that race in general is going to be spectacular to watch with uh, the Thunder and where they maybe fit into that. But what are the what are the the biggest storylines in the NBA? And we kind of had the conversation yesterday. Like I'm watching the All Star game, and I, I just completely forgot about Trey Young, right? Because he plays in Atlanta. They're kind of irrelevant, and it's sad. 
that a player that is that good is in this location that when you start thinking about the best players, you kind of forget about him just simply because of where he plays. And I, th- I think probably Cade is a little bit of a victim of that as well in Detroit, right? That team's just so bad and so far out of the narrative that you forget like how good this guy actually is. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's too bad for a player like Cade. You just wonder if Detroit's going to make the right decisions to to build around him because we were spoiled. You know, we had him. He just elevated that OSU team because he's such a smart basketball player who has the capability of playing at different speeds, but he can lull you to sleep, but then he's got the size that he can drive you, he can shoot over, you know, all of that stuff. If Detroit's smart, they build around him because he can do so many things. Um, but we'll see, you know, and we'll see if, if Trey Young remains in Atlanta or if they decide to overhaul, you know, that it, those are intriguing to a degree. You know, locally, obviously, you, you kind of look at the Thursday night game to get started again after the All-Star break with the Thunder and the Clippers. And the Clippers are right there behind the Thunder. I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about Oklahoma City's uh, tied for first Minnesota or Oklahoma City's in first place in the West, ahead of Minnesota, Minnesota, they're in second place, and we've gotten so caught up in all of that, and it's great, but it's just like the Big 12 standings. If you look at the Western Conference standings and you see just how tightly bunched several teams are right near the top, uh, even even our intrepid Thunder reporter Steve McGee, who's relentlessly positive, and I, and I love him for it, but even he said Sunday night on the Blitz, you know, what you what you want to do is make sure you finish in the top four. You know, so he's it's not that he has lowered expectations. There's just the reality of these last 30 games or whatever you've got, uh, they are going to be a sprint for some, but they're going to be grueling as well. And at some point, maybe there's two or three losses in a row, and where does that end up putting you? And are you scrambling in the last week? But maintain half uh, home court advantage in the first round. Yeah, and and don't take it for granted that that a lot of these teams that that are are more veteran teams don't don't really turn it up, right? I mean, I think that that a lot of NBA fans are guilty of maybe getting midway through the year and and deciding to write the narrative on teams. The reality is the younger teams play a lot harder in the first half of the season than the veteran teams do, and generally after the All-Star break is when the, the more veteran presence teams really amp it up to a completely different level than you've seen from them all year. Yeah, that's true. And, but, you know, here's, here's where as, as great as Shea Gilgis Alexander has been, he's not the only guy that can beat a team for Oklahoma City in late stages of games. Reggie Miller talked about that during the All-Star break. That, you know, they've got two closers. And, you know, Jalen Williams has been playing so well, and you're about to add, cross your fingers, hope he's healthy, Gordon Hayward into the mix, which gives you a better presence. And, and I'm curious about this. Bismack Biombo, I added him as well. He's the guy, although I never would have called him by name when we were talking about what does this Thunder team need more than anything else, especially when it comes to playoff time, we talk about rebounding. We talk about somebody with some force inside. doesn't have to be a major score, but you need to have, when, they, when it's ground down into half-court possessions, you've got to have somebody who can go get a defensive rebound or affect, you know, drive to the rim. 
or give you a physical presence on the offensive end. I'm really intrigued, even more than how Hayward's going to fit in, because I think he'll fit in as long as he's healthy. But what does Biombo give you in the minutes that he's going to play? And, and look, he's a veteran, right? He's been around for a long time. And, and depending on the matchup, you might not even be playing him much. I mean, there are certain matchups I'm looking at where I just don't see his role necessarily being extended for this Thunder team because you're, I mean, if he's playing, that means somebody really good is sitting on the bench. But if you end up playing a series against a Minnesota or the Lakers or Denver, perhaps, that's when I think you're going to need him a lot more than if you were in a series against, like, Phoenix, for example. Exactly. Exactly. You're making my point. It's, it is for those times when you've got to deal with Rudy Gobert, you know, uh, or, you know, not so much necessarily Carl Anthony Towns, although you got to look out for him because he can light you up for 50. Just ask the, the East in the All-Star game. Hit 50 in the All-Star game. Okay, percentage-wise, that wasn't as impressive given the point totals, but still, it was 50. I mean, he, he, what's the old thing? He, he could get 50 on air. Oh, yeah, he did it in Indianapolis over the weekend. Uh, but, yeah, you're, you're right. I, and I don't I don't think that Biombo would be a heavy minutes guy. But it does tend, you know, you have some of these games in the playoff series that end up being more full court and the team just runs away and hides. And, you know, that that's more like maybe you see in a regular season stretch. But when it really gets down to it, can you be physical enough to win series when the, when the pace slows down? You know, speaking of the All-Star game, it, it really amused me yesterday the number of people that, that kind of reached this conclusion where it's like, after this All-Star game, you know, it's doomed and it's finally reached this point where there's no defense being played. I don't think the defense on Sunday was any different than it's been for a long time. If we're going to say anything about what was different, I think it's the the number of guys at the top of the league that are elite shot makers, right? There are so many dudes now in the NBA that are elite shot makers from way far out that those buckets are just going in as opposed to, you know, previous All-Star games where maybe you don't have that many threes going through and it's it's more two-pointers like we saw from Anthony Carl Towns in, uh, in, in the later stages of the game, but to see all of the guys on Sunday that were making three-pointers and and deep three-pointers at such a an incredible efficiency rate it's you know the league is loaded with offensively talented players but i don't think the defense is any different than it's been for a a, a while now no here, here's i i seem to remember a game maybe it was mid 90s maybe it was late 80s i can't remember but i remember just the tone of the announcers in the late game because it happened to be close and when you hear the color, you know, the, one of the former players are all the broadcast or whatever, and, and they say something like, oh, it's getting serious now, which means someone's decided to play defense because there's a little bit of pride on the line. That went away a long time ago. I don't think that the All-Star game has featured any sort of semblance of consistent defense since, oh, I don't know, the John Havlicek days maybe. I mean, do we have to go back that far? Gar Hurd? Back in the 70s. But, uh, you know, it, it's always been for show, and that's fine. But, the, yes, the level of skill is, is so impressive that, uh, yeah, Carl Anthony Towns actually made a couple of Caitlin Clark range, didn't he? 
Yeah, I mean, Dame was two for two from, from half court in the game. <laughs> no, that's why he's the MVP. I mean, just, just incredible. The, the, the shot-making ability of basically every guy on the floor now, as opposed to maybe just having a handful of guys that, that can make all those shots and everyone else maybe does something else really well. It's just it's, it's reached this insane level where... Here's, here's, how, here's how far that has come. Yeah, here's how far that has come. When the three-point line was first instituted in the NBA, you know who the widely regarded marksman of the league was? Chris Ford for the Boston Celtics. Chris oh, yeah, Ford, yeah. who with a mustache, and he, that was kind of his specialty. It looked even more like a set shot, but it just everything has evolved since then. Well, even look at a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, and when I hear people say, like, look at look at shooting percentages from, from the 80s and 90s and maybe even early 2000s of players, like, you can't take those shooting percentages in terms of threes as to what they would be if they started shooting a bunch of threes, right? Like, Carl Anthony Towns is a perfect example of that. Came into the league, wasn't a three-point shooter, and the, the game went in a certain way, and now he can knock him down consistently from out there. Same thing for a guy like Brooke Lopez, who was essentially a shot blocker at the center position, and that was about it in his early days, and now he's a sniper from the outside. Like, shooting is shooting, and, and if you were to dedicate yeah. yourself to shooting from the outside and shooting a lot of those shots... Uh, you know, I, somebody that shot 30% in 1991, it doesn't mean that they, they, they couldn't shoot the basketball. No, you, you mentioned Brooke Lopez, and that's when you're going to have to try and convince me that there isn't some sort of sports sorcery going on. Because the dude never shot anything out of side, outside of six feet when he was at Stanford. <laughs> you know, I also remember that when Magic Johnson came into the league, what did Magic do at Michigan State other than beat Larry Bird in the Huntsman Center in Utah in the most watched NCAA championship game ever? Uh, Magic couldn't really shoot. He would drive guys because he was such a novel 6'8", six, 6'9", six, point guard and could pass it so well. He didn't really have to shoot jump shots, but he got in the league and outside of his rookie year when Kareem couldn't play in the final game of the NBA Finals, against Philadelphia, and Magic ends up jumping center, plays the five, plays all over the floor, and ends up 42 points, whatever it was. He still was scoring basically from 15 feet and in. But he worked really hard because people were talking about so much about how, well, he can't shoot. You know, he can't be the greatest of all time. He can't shoot. He made himself a great shooter. Well, not great, but more than serviceable to where you could not leave him alone. You, that might be the one place you would give him, but he started making shots with such consistency you couldn't do it anymore. So that's to your point about the hard work. Not everybody's going to be able to be a three-point shooter, but a whole lot more of them now can do it than used to. Brooke Lopez, three-point shooting percentage for the first seven years of his career was 0%, by the way. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, before we get out of here, i got to get your thoughts on I guess it now being official, the college football playoff is the 5-7 model. Top five conference champions are in, seven at large bids. Four, the top four highest-rated conference champions receive that first-round buy. I'm fine with it. I mean, I'm just glad the expansion is here. It gives more teams hope. That's one of the things that I've always loved about the NCAA tournament. Even if you're a 16 seed, you get a chance to play number one, you know, that, that sort of thing. Instead of it being feeling like a closed system, 
this is slightly less of a closed system that will allow some other than three of the four being blue bloods every season. I, I laughed today. I saw somebody tweet like this is an unfair format to Notre Dame because they could be the best team in college football and would not get a first round bye. And I just I I laughed hysterically. <laughs> well, you know, if you're Notre Dame, you could join a conference. I mean, <laughs> I mean yeah. pretty much everybody's everybody's open for business. You you've had that option for a long period of time. You know how this is operating, and you do you, but. Yeah, no whining. Yeah. No yeah. whining if you don't get a first round bye. I mean, just be glad that the rules are are inclusive enough for you in a sport where I mean, pretty much everybody has been ninety percent of of everybody's been excluded in the in the harsh reality of it. Exactly. John, always appreciate you, my friend. Have a safe travel to Cincinnati. Are you going to partake in the skyline? Uh, no, I've been uh, Pop said to avoid it. I've okay. heard from others to avoid it, but but we are going to dinner tonight somewhere. I'm not sure where. Dave and I were invited to dinner tonight, but we haven't heard where it is. I'm I'm hoping it's a classic Cincinnati steakhouse. I'm not sure what that would be because I haven't been to Cincinnati since I was about two years old, <laughs> uh, and I don't remember that one at all. Well, safe travels, enjoy the trip, and we will catch up at the end of the week and preview the, the final Big 12 version of Bedlam. Yes, and also a, a Griffin Thunder Friday night. So uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be in Oakland City on Friday. Oh, Paycom John making an appearance on Friday. <laughs> yeah, very it. good, very good. I love it. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you Friday. Sounds good. That is John Holcomb joining us via the Blitz Hotline. I'm Colby Daniels. We'll take a time out, and we're back in a moment on the Blitz 1170 and streaming on the Blitz 1170 app.